Welcome to Discourse, a podcast that explores multiple perspectives to think deeply and connect honestly with each other. I'm Anne Song. And I'm Sarika Narayan Singh. On the agenda today, we are discussing David Sachs' article titled The Failure of the iPad Classroom, How Technology is Hurting Students. This article was published in The Walrus on November 6, 2017. So I did some research on David Sachs, our author today. He published a book called The Revenge of the Analog, which was published in 2016 uh, and long listed for the 2017 Andrew Carnegie Medal of Excellence. Oh, that award is really prestigious, isn't it? It recognizes the American fiction and nonfiction books. What's the book about, Anne? Well, Sarika, I didn't read it yet. But it looks at how we're going back to analog goods and ideas that we didn't think we needed anymore. Analog, by the way, in this context means physical and tactile objects like stationaries, books, vinyl records, photographic film, and more. According to our friend Sachs, analog is coming back, despite the fact that we live in a digital age. So Sarika, I have a question for you. I notice you're sporting a new iPhone. Do you find yourself relying on your iPhone, and more specifically, I'm talking about iCal, or are you more of a pen and paper and agenda person? Personally, I like the idea of using pen and paper, but you know, my handwriting is so terrible. I I sometimes joke that I should have been a doctor. So I really do appreciate my iPhone, my iPad, basically the whole Apple gamut, and that trusty iCal. What about you? Okay, so I'm definitely a pen and paper type of person when it comes to making notes, preparing content, and more. But when it comes to planning my calendar, I definitely cannot live without my iPhone and specifically the iCal app. It's just so much easier. I find that everything is more difficult to find when I put it into writing. So let's talk about how we use technology in the classroom. And we usually refer to that as ed tech, short for educational technology in the, in the world of educators and teachers. Sarika, so how do you integrate technology in your classroom? So anyone who's actually been in my classroom knows that I use technology to support almost all of my teaching. Everything from building assignments in Word and offering feedback to students using that track changes function. I find technology has allowed students to really see what I'm talking about in the classroom. Uh, I know that sometimes I have a tendency to talk pretty fast, but if I'm typing while I'm talking at the front of the room, it slows me down and students can really follow my train of thought. And I think that ability for students to follow your guide is very important. It's really an issue of accessibility to information, isn't it? For example, technology like PowerPoint slides or Google slides, it's very important in my classroom. It makes it possible for students to, like you said, follow the content as you lead the discussion in the classroom. But also it makes it possible for students who miss class to know what they missed and to catch up. Absolutely. Cool. So let's talk about Sachs' article and what we appreciated and found problematic about it. But first, let's briefly summarize Sachs' main message. In a nutshell, Sachs is arguing that we, and by we I mean schools, educators, communities, and investors in education, should not abandon the brick-and-mortar analog model of education for online-only virtual schools. Now he does add a caveat. Sachs isn't saying that schools should not have mandatory computer programming classes for students or, you know, not have any technology at all. Rather, he is arguing against the wholesale integration of digital technology across the curriculum. Yeah, and to add to your summary, Anne, Sachs' reason for this is because so many of us have an unfettered faith in technology and innovation as a panacea to all of our quote-unquote problems in education. So when I say problems, Sachs is referring to things like low test scores, the achievement gap, Uh, disengaged learners who are unprepared for the 21st century workplace. 
This faith in education technology initiative, Sachs argues, is illogical. Now, this brings us to the crux of today's episode. Were you convinced by Sachs's article overall? In other words, what did you appreciate about Sachs's article? For me, I appreciated one of Sachs's points, which he begins in paragraph 19. And it's his point that educational technology frequently fails or is at least inadequate or inappropriate at certain stages of our lives because there are some things that ed tech simply can't teach. So to prove this point, Sachs cites an expert on the topic of early childhood education, uh, someone named Diane Levin, who's a professor of early childhood education at Wheelock College in Massachusetts. Now, Levin uses Sachs's one-and-a-half-year-old daughter to illustrate the point that the sensory learning experience that comes with finger painting is irreplaceable. See, with a screen, a child simply cannot learn what paint feels like or what colors look like when they're mixed together, which is what a child would learn from analog finger painting. With screens, the sense of discovery, curiosity, and inquiry which drive learning is not only lost, but unachievable. So when I was reading Levin's point, it made me realize that trying to learn through screens may actually stunt a child's ability to learn how to learn, because it prevents them from developing their senses and emotional intelligence. Well said, Sarika, but I have a question for you. Do you think that maybe you really liked this section because it was his language, perhaps? I mean, paragraph 19 is beautifully written. He says things like, quote, that activity not only involved the child's ability to create an image on the paper, but the sensory feeling of the wet paint running down her arm, the visual learning of the colors mixing as she moved her finger around the paint, end quote. Now, this is definitely written in a way so that the reader can identify with the sensory experience. The descriptive language that Sachs uses is an example of pathos, and we are fully convinced of the importance of this full-body, full-minded experience precisely because of his sensory language. I think you have a good point there, Anne. Um, you know, that section definitely triggered me to think about how I learned when I was a kid. You know, I would often build these sort of makeshift inventions by pulling together portable chalkboards, old boxes, TV remote controls, and stuffed animals. And it was definitely, a, you know, as Sachs would say, a full body experience. And then I would present my masterpieces to my family. So I definitely think that Sachs made me think about and feel nostalgic about my past learning experiences. So you liked Sax's writing style then, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely specific sentences that I appreciated, like the quote I pulled from in paragraph 19. But I, I think what I really appreciate about Sax's article is the structure, especially his introductory section. Now, this is something that we encourage our students to do. Uh, Sax explains the controversy in the beginning. It's something we want our students to also do in their papers. So in paragraph 7... Sachs clearly states that the role and effectiveness of educational technology is a, quote, hotly debated issue, end quote. And from there, he explains why this is such a controversial and contentious issue. On the one hand, Sachs says, there are politicians, corporations, school administrators who insist that technology is going to be the panacea of all education-related problems. That it includes inequities, achievement gaps, disengaged learners, low test scores, and more. On the other hand, thinkers like Sachs argue that the traditional brick-and-mortar classroom is still relevant and important. In other words, Silicon Valley cannot fix education. So I appreciated this very clear distinction of reasonable opposing views at the very beginning of the essay. 
Structurally, it helps the reader recognize the contention before learning more about the issue. I absolutely agree with you, Anne. This is exactly what we teach in class based on Joel Graff's and Kathy Birkenstein's book, They Say, I Say, The Moves That Matter in Academic Writing. You know, we stress to our students the importance of entering into an existing conversation so it's clear not just what they're saying, but also why they're saying it. In other words, a thesis statement should always be in response to the arguments of others. Yes, absolutely. And to add to that, when I teach thesis statements, I always remind my students, you're not the expert. You have to bounce off what other people are saying and extend it. Okay, but Sarika, although I appreciate what he did there structurally, I found his representation of these two sides very problematic. Yes, yes. Tell me what you found problematic about Sachs' article. So my main problem with Sachs is that he looks at the extreme ends of the spectrum and makes sweeping generalizations that are actually out of touch with how school works in the real world. He misrepresents advocates of edtech when he states that they believe the technology is a, quote, most stimulating way to learn, end quote, lowers costs and closes the achievement gap. He even states that proponents of edtech imagine a day when, quote, the greatest university in the world will not be some ivy-covered campus, but anywhere your device gets signal, end quote. And he says that in paragraph 11. First of all, these are generalizations. Proponents of edtech do not think that edtech is a be-all and end-all. And proponents of edtech do not want to close down the, quote, ivory-covered campus, end quote. Major post-secondary institutions like the University of Toronto and George Brown College are not going anywhere. Secondly, this is out of touch with reality. I mean, in many ways, his extreme examples are similar to the pro-pro chart that he talks about in the opening narrative of the integrative learning course for educators. In this anecdote, teachers are asked to make a pro-pro chart, which is like positives only, of the brick-and-mortar school and then a pro-pro chart of an online-only virtual school. Okay, great. But when I saw that, I was thinking... But what's the point? Why are you making a pro-pro chart with only positives of these two very extreme ends? And why are you looking at just brick and mortar and just online only, when in reality is that most schools roll out a blended version of these two worlds? For example, here at George Brown College, we have in-person classroom learning, which is then further complemented and blended with educational technology, such as learning management systems like Blackboard, podcasts, PowerPoint, Nearpod, Kahoot, and more. It's rarely the case that it's an either-or mutually exclusive situation. This representation of the two extremes is unfair and unrealistic. So, and you're saying basically that Sachs paints a black and white picture of traditional classroom educators who teach with whiteboards, and he pits them against strictly virtual classrooms. And this depiction is an inaccurate representation of what teaching and learning actually looks like. True. I'm curious, though, what you thought about Sachs' reference to a 2010 study by Duke University in paragraph 28. Now, for some context, Sachs looks at a North Carolina public school that gave up free laptops and actually found that, quote, the introduction of home computer technology had negative impacts on student math and reading test scores, end quote. Now, he uses this study to argue that the use of technology cannot effectively close the achievement gap and solve social inequities. What do you think? I mean, it's a reliable, albeit outdated piece of evidence. But I'm not surprised that this particular type of integration of edtech failed. This pilot project doesn't include a teacher. And I've been noticing this a lot in his essay. He leaves a teacher out. As educators, we are the gatekeepers of edtech. 
Going back to what I was saying earlier, the reality is a blend of both traditional classroom and ed tech. And it's usually the teacher that decides how to roll out technology in the classroom. We're not so unintelligent, as Sachs seems to assume, to simply roll out technology without support and without purpose. We do it very strategically to enhance student learning and engagement. We play a critical role. I think Sachs forgets about us. That's a really good point, Ant. I I think Sachs falters because he didn't anticipate that his audience would most likely be educators who use technology as a tool in the classroom and would therefore be skeptical of, if not offended by, his conclusions, which, as you said, erase the crucial role of the teacher. On a side note, I'm also very cautious about the use of statistics. You know, many of us know that not only can statistics lie, but sometimes facts are just not enough. Frankly, there's so many other variables that can account for why the laptops did not positively impact literacy and numeracy test scores at that North Carolina public school. Even if the use of laptops did not result in higher test scores for those students, is that the laptop's fault? Maybe this also speaks to a larger reason why Sachs' argument fails, and that is he doesn't outline the parameters of his argument. What he takes to be ed tech, which is simply putting laptops on iPads in the hands of students, and what we define as ed tech, which is the use of software to support, engage, and guide students' learning, are really quite different from each other. Srika, thanks for our chat. It was so good to catch up. Thank you for thinking deeply and connecting honestly with me. Thank you, Anne.